Tanakoto Qatar, um, Ko Robotaho, um, and it's my privilege to talk to you this morning. Um, and yeah, what can we learn about um, um, pastoral care from, from hospital chaplaincy um, that you might be able to apply to people within the church, but within the church and also um, in our local community? I will start off with a brief summary of what hospital chaplaincy involves. Um, I'll talk briefly about listening skills. I'll look at some of the conversations I've had in, in that role as a, as a chaplain. And, um, and I'll get you into groups to discuss a couple of conversations and then I'll, I'll summarise. I've been doing hospital chaplaincy now for... 13 years as a volunteer um, and I've been asked you know why did I go into hospital chaplaincy what got me there and and all I can think about was is you know it was just the prompting of the Holy Spirit you know you just you know because if I look back if I think back you know when growing up oh there's no way I'd ever have thought I would end up in, in hospital chaplaincy um, so Volunteer chaplaincy involves around two hours a week and it's always on the same ward. And this allows me to build relationships with, um, with the ward clerk and the nursing staff. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a formal position um, and you know, we have a contract with, with the hospital, with the DHB. So we, we cannot proselytise um, the patients but, but we can speak into people's situations and offer them support and hope. So hospital chaplaincy is about pastoral care. It's not about evangelising the people in the hospital. As my supervisor keeps telling me, my role is not to fix things. Because as a male, I want to fix people's problems, but now he keeps saying, no, it's not, you don't have to fix their problems, you just have to listen. And um, the Holy Spirit does the work. So some facts about Auckland Hospital. Um, you know, there's over 10,000 staff at Auckland Hospital and over 400 volunteers. And when I first heard that, I thought, wow, you know, that's a small city. Um, so there are, there are four ecumenical chaplains, one married chaplain, and one Catholic chaplain. And we have around about 20 volunteer chaplains. Um, the ma actually, the majority are, are Roman Catholic, and I think that's because of the, um, the Roman Catholic Church. You know, they have a real strong emphasis on, on doing works and, and social justice and serving people. So the volunteer chaplains undergo training before being accepted to work in the hospital. Um, I haven't got time to go into details, but if anyone's interested, you know, if it's you know, raising a, a flag, you know, just come and see me sometime. So I just want to start off with a um, listening skills. Um, listening skills to me are, are pretty key in the role, um, and Lynn Barb who's a teacher and writer, and some of you may know her, 
have heard of her. Um, she's written a book called The Power of Listening. And the book is a result of interviewing 63 pastors from various denominations, and she went um, around the world doing this. And her interviews focused on four topics, sort of listening within the, the congregation, listening to the wider community, listening to God, and then obstacles to listening. And she makes a point of saying that hearing and listening are different. You know, you can hear someone but not be listening to them. She also said healthy congregations are congregations that are composed of people who listen well. So I would recommend this book. Um, for those who want to learn a bit more about listening skills, um, or you can find her on YouTube. She's got a lot of um, clips on YouTube as well. So hospital visiting, um, when I visit my ward, most people I talk to, they're very happy to talk to me, you know, because sitting in bed is, gets pretty boring sometimes. And they love to tell me their stories. And so I get to hear the most amazing stories. Um, so I only visit the one ward and I walk around and I just introduce myself to people and um, we call it cold calling. <laughs> and a lot of people have a problem with that because they, they're a bit diffident about just rolling up to somebody and say, hi, I'm Robert, you know. Um, so I get some interesting comments. Some people have no idea what a chaplain is, and so I have to explain it's about emotional and spiritual care. Um, some people want to know if they're about to die because the chaplain's turned up. <laughs> Some people put their hand up. No, I'm okay. I'm not religious. You know, or they pretend to be asleep. <laughs> or if they're reading a book, the book sort of comes up like this. <laughs> yeah. But so the people I meet are, are very diverse. Um, many have... Um, English as a second language, and some don't speak English at all. And generally, if they have a support person with them, you know, I'll talk with, you know, their partner or their friend or whoever. Um, and the visits can last from a few minutes to, you know, 30 minutes or so, depending on how chatty they are, because some people are really quite talkative. And there's a mixture of single rooms, double rooms, four bedded rooms um, and the beds have curtains that can be pulled around to to that provides comp complete privacy when I'm talking to the, to the patient although <laughs> sometimes the person in another bed will answer the question I've asked this person <laughs> it's, it, it, it gets a bit difficult when the person's a bit deaf and you have to shout you know the whole the whole room here is what you're talking about <laughs> So the person I'm talking to, they set the agenda for their discussion. We talk about what they want to talk about, not what I want to talk about. And that can be hard sometimes because we all like to talk. 
So the conversation starts with a social conversation. I'll call it a social conversation. We talk about the weather. You know, what work do you do? Um, the rugby, the host, the food. Yeah, uh, you know. And if there's photos, food's always a great topic. People just like the f hospital food's horrible. Um, or if there's photos beside their bed, you know, there might be family photos. We can talk about their family. But the aim is to dig deeper and have a pastoral conversation to get to what's on their heart. You know, what's what's happening. And it doesn't always happen because sometimes the person, they don't want to go there. They don't want to go deeper. They just want to leave it at social conversation. And it's important to, to listen carefully to what is being said, but also what's not being said. So we ask you know, open-ended questions so we don't get yes-no replies. And that's one way of trying to go deeper with a pastoral conversation. But it's important to have your spiritual antennae up, you know, to be guided by the Holy Spirit. So just some of these conversations that I've had, there was one lady who I visited, and she said, no, I'm fine. I don't want to talk to you. I said, that's okay. I said, I'll see you again, and I, I left. The next week, I just poked my head around the corner and said, you know, I know you don't want to talk, but I'm just saying hello. And I did that for probably 10 or 12 weeks. And then one day she said to me, I want to talk to you. So we had a very deep pastoral conversation and, um, and then I never saw her again. So, you know, it can take time to build trust and you don't always know the outcome. One of the people I visited when I first started was a young man who was, he was 18 when I first met him. He wasn't a Christian, but I visited him most weeks for the next two and a half years until he died when he was 21. His parents and younger sister, they were there most weeks when I visited. You know, there was always one of them there. And so I was, you know, it was a really difficult journey, but it was quite inspiring to see how his family, you know, really cared for him. So sometimes we go on a long journey with people and the result is not always what we would want. I met one old man who was who was quite fearful of dying. He'd been brought up a Christian but drifted away and now he thought he would be hypocritical to turn to God now that he was dying. So I talked to him about the man on the cross with when Jesus was crucified. And Jesus said, this, you know, this man would be with him in paradise. I said, it was never too late. And he says, oh, I never thought about that that way. He says, so, you know, he accepted my prayer for salvation. and So, so it's never too late to accept God into your life. And I've met several patients who have said they would be too embarrassed to go back to God after all they had done. One day I came across a man who was covered in tattoos. He had missing teeth and he looked quite scary. So I diffidently approached this man and chatted with him and found out he was a real man of God. You know, he was fluent in Tereo, 
And after I'd prayed with him, he prayed for me. And I came away, you know, feeling greatly blessed. So some people are really amazing. I had one man who talked at length about his faith journey from Roman Catholicism to sowing his wild oats to meditation to holistic healing. He was well read on all the world's major religions and said we can't just have head knowledge or we won't accept others. Before I left, he asked me, can I tell you something? He said, I could feel the empathy from you thumping his chest as I was talking. I could see you accepted me and you were not judging me. So people, people want to know you care and you understand. Some people do not believe in God or an afterlife. They say that once they are dead, that's the end, and they're happy with that. So, But I generally have a good conversation with these people, but not on the topic of religion. Now this next conversation, I'll... I'll um, I'll read it first and then we can, we can talk about it. One lady was worried about having to suffer with her treatment. She said if it was possible, she would like to go somewhere they had voluntary euthanasia. When I asked if she was a Christian, she said she used to be a Christian, then a Buddhist, but now she was an agnostic. She acknowledged a lot of people were praying for her and she felt it helped. I asked if I could pray for her, and she said I could, but she would cry. I prayed, and she cried. So this break into little groups, and, and um, turn to your neighbour, what would you have responded in this situation to this, to this conversation, to this lady? Okay, we'll carry on. I, I once, I had this one man who had returned to hospital after 11 years as his cancer had returned. What struck me about how this man was, how happy he was. He was so happy and positive, he was amazing. So we discussed what religion he was. And he said he was a Hindu. But as a Hindu, he believed all religions were the same. So he was a Buddhist as well. 
And he used to tell his workmates, he was a Christian as well. He said, we're all the same. We're all on the same journey to the end. Just taking different paths. It is like driving from Auckland to Wellington. Sorry, Wellington to Auckland. We might take different roads, but we all end up in Auckland. So you will encounter religious pluralism. One, one man I spoke with had an interesting take on God. He said he was not religious, but he did believe in the, the big fella upstairs. But he didn't believe God had a big ego that needed to be praised each week in a church. He believed he was in hospital to learn a lesson. And that lesson was to learn to appreciate people more. He believed in reincarnation and that we kept going around to learn more. Now here's another conversation we can... So you'll hear some interesting theologies along the way when you talk to people. Um, this is another um, a lady who was brought up in a Christian household. But the man she married was a Buddhist, as were his parents. She was so impressed how they lived out their beliefs. She became a Buddhist as well. What does this say to us as Christians? Turn to your neighbour and have a quick chat.
Right. Just uh, another example, which is um, outside the hospital, was when Helen and I were walking the dogs one morning, and we came across a neighbour who was also walking her dog. Helen asked how she was, and she said, I'm okay. And Helen reflected back, only okay. And then she says, well, okay. And then she really, she opened up and, you know, told us what was really happening and allowed the, the pastoral, the conversation to turn pastoral rather than just social. A common story I hear is that people were brought up in a Christian home, but they've given it all away. And that's either because they were never fully, really fully committed or quite often because someone upset them in church and they've never been back. You know, the fellow parishioner or a priest or the pastor or whoever, they've said something and that's it, never going back to church. The other thing that, that I quite often hear from, from patients is, I'm a good person, why would I not go to heaven? So just in summarising, when providing pastoral care, I think one of the most important things is, is good listening skills. And we have to listen in, intentionally. And it can be quite tiring because I find after a couple of hours of really listening, it's actually quite, you're feeling quite exhausted. And we need to listen to what is being said, but also what's not being said. What are they not talking about? Why, why are they not talking about it? We need to move from the social conversation to the pastoral conversation. And this can take time, we need to build trust, and it doesn't always happen, but that's sort of the aim, to try and dig deeper and, and find out what's really happening in people's lives. Um, and we need to be non-judgmental. Um, I think we Christians are very good at being judgmental. So, namihi nui. Thanks, Robert. That was an interesting insight into pastoral care and uh, treatment, wasn't it? Um, 